With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to Glory Days on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Trev Downey and as usual I'm broadcasting to you from a field in rural Ireland and joining me is another rural Irishman, another field dweller, Mr Dave Hendrick. How are you sir? I don't think I've been called a field dweller before but it does fit with where I live. I'm good, mate. How are you? <laughs> yeah, listen, we got to own what we are. Big, big coaches. Big, uh, fuckers. Massive, massive, <laughs> massive coachy heads. Uh, so uh, we are the purpose of this show for everybody just is a new one on you, of course. But, you know, we're always trying to bring you new contact, uh, contact content on this channel. And this is hopefully timely with the FA Cup game um, coming up and hopefully there'll be a few more of them um, so we can spice in a few more of these as the season goes on. And we're going to look specifically at the 1992 FA Cup win um, where we both um, have lots of different kind of interesting points that we'd like to talk about around that 1992 FA Cup win. We're going to keep this brief because we want to get through two tournaments per show so unusually for me and dave we're gonna have to rein it in a bit but as is typical of me and dave dave doesn't want to start just on 1992 because he's got a specific 1990 memory that he wants to mention first and it's a belter and in in the vein of nostalgia and getting the ball rolling let's go there man Right, so before I start, I need people to go and, and get their tissues because they're they're gonna they're gonna weep at this story. <laughs> 1990, I'm with my dad for the weekend, and April the eighth, 1990, is my eighth birthday, and Liverpool are playing Crystal Palace, and I have no ex- access to this game on television, but having had a really nice you know, day before with my mom and that I go to my dad for my birthday and it was a 12 o'clock kickoff. It was an early kickoff. I remember this. And we had loads of plans then me and my dad for the afternoon of what we were going to go and do. And I sat in his car and listened to the game on the radio. And obviously we lose an extra time. And I ball crying for about an hour maybe more, just sitting in this car, 
in the middle of rat mines in Dublin, bawling, <laughs> crying because Crystal Palace have ruined my birthday. And oh. then, if that wasn't bad enough, on the Monday, I've got to go to school. And most of the people in my class are Man United fans, and United beat Oldham after extra time. That's it. Or I think it might have been on. No, the United got a draw, wasn't it? And they went to penalties. They beat was, them in the midweek, yeah. is what it was. Yeah, they there was a replay, a replay, and they're a full back. I think some full back or other scored a winner. Mark Robbins, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah so, so, so I get Monday and Tuesday, I get the abuse because Liverpool lost and United didn't. And then Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday, whichever night the game had been before, I just get absolutely terrorised because United have won and Liverpool got knocked out. And that was one of the worst birthdays I've ever had. And I've had a couple that have been ruined by big events. So um, Kurt Cobain was found dead on my birthday. Lane Staley died on my birthday. So, yeah, not so many good birthdays across the years. That is uh, just yeah, horrific. That, that 1991 remains the most traumatic birthday of my life. Yeah, sat in a car in the middle of rat mines, bawling, crying <laughs> at the radio because Liverpool were after this. Because you remember what it was like, Trev, you didn't have, you know, it was very hard to watch, to watch games here at that time. And I'm yeah. someone that's always loved the FA Cup. Like, for me, third round Saturday is one of the most special days of the year where it's just so much fun. Like third round Saturday has always been a big thing for me, for, for me, my dad, me, my stepdad. It's just always been a big thing where we would go to wherever the Roundo and Navin or wherever or, you know, Flower Hill Lodge and, and watch the, whatever game was on. And then there'd obviously be, you know, constant updates on what was going on around the grounds. And you didn't care what game was on. Yeah. You didn't care if it was Coventry against Kidderminster Harriers. You just you would watch whatever game was on because it was the FA Cup and it mattered. And in 1990, it really mattered because we'd won it the year before, obviously. And, you know, we, we know what happened on that cup run. But it, it really meant something to, to me about the FA Cup. And, uh, yeah, that, that was one horrific birthday. It was one of those ones as well. We had two seasons where a double was almost doable and we missed it out, you know. Mm. Uh, it's so slender, uh, missed out so slenderly. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I honestly think, I, I do recall that really well. I was I was 15 going 16. Um, so uh, it was a, a, similarly, I, you know, you're all in at that age. You could not be more, uh, none more Liverpool fan than me at that stage. And I do actually, I remember that Man United game as well. And it was a full, I was at Lee Martin, I think. It was but some if you think sp- of it, we won the league in 88 and lost the cup final. Yeah, this, this is what I'm talking about. After doing the double in '86, there were so many opportunities to do further doubles. Yeah, and it hadn't been we done. Won, yeah, should have won three in a row: '88, '89, yeah. and '90. We should have won the double because yeah. we would have walloped exactly. that United team in the final. Exactly, and we the shouldn't 80... have lost the league in '89, obviously to Arsenal. And yeah. how I still don't know how Wimbledon beat us in '88. We should have ended that decade. Well, we should have had you know four decades or four four trebles in five years. Four yeah. doubles in five. Four years. doubles for sure, for sure. And actually, a nice segue into what we're here to talk about today is 1992. Is that 1989 uh, league 
uh, loss against Arsenal in that mm. it's up for grabs now, Brian Moore moment. Um, and sadly, we all remember what happened uh, at Anfield that night. Um, and Michael Thomas was central to it. And of course, Michael Thomas, ironically, is central to Liverpool in this 1992 uh, tournament win. And for context for folks, just because I'm sure lots of people will know exactly what we're talking about. And for some people, we might as well be talking about, um, you know, uh, a, 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 some ancient explorer, um, um, you know, battering down vines uh, to get to an ancient civilization because, you know, football didn't even exist before the uh, advent of the Premier League. And this particular tournament ended up being Liverpool against Sunderland, uh, 9th of May, 1992, Wembley Stadium. Um, it was Liverpool's, in the end, fifth FA Cup triumph. We had Ronnie Moran leading the club out instead of Graeme Souness. Graeme Souness had just gotten out of hospital, I think actually maybe a day or two before, and he was in the dugout for the game. Um, some great images, and I don't know if you have anything on these, Dave, uh, but if you don't, remind me to come back to the Sunez stuff in the uh, dugout uh, during the game. Uh, Sunez, of course, took over Liverpool in, I think, April of 1991, one of the saddest days of my Liverpool supporting career when um, we saw not necessarily Graeme Sunez taking over. I think that gave everyone a little bit of hope because it was... Um, Rangers exploits and stuff like that and the fact that it was Graham freaking Sunes and we thought maybe this is more of um, you know, continuing the 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 Reds tradition of, of 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 proper Reds taking over, but the boot room was ending. That was a worry to an extent. The boot room was ending, um, and it didn't end up going well for us or for Graham. Um, but at that stage, he's only what is it? Um, he's thirteen months into his reign. Um, mm. And we're into a final. Um, and like I said, it was very, very sad when Kenny left. It was incredibly stressful uh, as a Liverpool supporter. And my hero, literally all-time hero, going, walking away from the club. It was just like I couldn't understand. I could not get my head around it. But you were trying to do your best. But everything looked different, Dave. Everything felt different in 1992. Soon as tried too many things too quickly, he, he, uh, he, by his own admission, tried to shake things up and made a bit of a balls of it. Um, an awful lot of the senior players felt um, very marginalised. He didn't like the swagger that they had, the, 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 the heft that their opinions carried. He wanted to be the man in charge and tried to bring his own men in. Um, we know it was pretty tragically awful, and it ended quite quickly, really, considering um, um, the longevity of managers back in those days. We finished sixth in the league in this campaign. Um, it's the final season of the old first division, um, and I think we hadn't had a worse league finish, Dave, just to underline what we were talking about a few minutes ago, since 1965. And for listeners, there was not a year for, you know, what was it, 12, 13 seasons that we did not win or come second in the league. And yeah. all of a sudden, the drop to sixth was so horrific. But we had this little tournament at the end, and it wasn't little back then. It was, as Dave described it, the FA Cup was glorious, and it wasn't fake romanticism. Everybody thought it was important. You had people of note internationally talking about the FA Cup and how marvelous, marvelous it was, what a, a great, great cup, a great trophy was to win. So it meant something, as Dave said. Talk to me about your uh, specific memories of it, Dave, and, and where you'd like to start us in a little bit of nostalgia around it. 
Well, I suppose the thing for me is this is sort of the beginning of the end for the FA Cup as we knew it, because as you've just said, this is the last season before the change to the Premier League. You know, it was the old First Division and the FA Cup, and they were seen as almost equals. And the team that won the FA Cup were seen as having had almost as good a season as the team that won the First Division. It was so important. And it was held up as, you know, the greatest cup competition on the planet. And obviously around this time as well, the European Cup is changing and it's becoming the Champions League. So this is really the last season of the old way where things were as they had been, where we had been the dominant force in Europe. And as you said, you look from 1971-72, we finished third that year, up until 1991 when we finished second, we'd only finished outside the top two once. We finished fifth in 81. We dominated English football for 20 years once we finished outside of the top two. Nobody can claim that, not even United in all their dominance under Ferguson managed to do something like that. It was obscene. And even though we finished sixth that season, we won the FA Cup. So in a way, you were thinking, okay, well, we're still really strong. Like, you were able to fool yourself into thinking, we've, we're still really strong. We've just won the FA, the FA Cup. That means so much. For people that maybe weren't, you know, weren't around back then, don't remember, whatever, it might not seem like such a big thing. But at that time, like, for me as a 10-year-old, hearing from you know, older men who, you know, were all about the FA Cup and what it meant and things like that. They had me absolutely convinced that, yes, Leeds won the league, Liverpool finished sixth, but it doesn't matter because Liverpool won the FA Cup. So Liverpool are one of the two best teams in the country. And going into the following season, I guess me and probably a lot of other people went in with that kind of blinkered view of, we'll bounce back. We'll be right back at the top. And Little did we know what was to follow. Like little could we have predicted at that time. You, that- you, know, we, we had no reason to think it. And actually, you know, what's really, really kind of, uh, it's kind of sad and and revealing is to talk to the lads who were at the club at the time. And you mm. know, through um, my, my shows with this channel, I've been really lucky. I've got a chance to talk to nearly everybody who played around that era. And of course, I talk to Jan every week and he was front and center there. Um, but loads of other people as well. And recalling that time, uh, that time of transition and all of them have a kind of a wince and a, you know, a kind of a sharp intake of breath. And nobody really believed. Jan often says that nobody really believed the fall from grace could be so spectacular and so yeah. prolonged. And there was a little bit of a flurry in the mid-90s when, if you and I are honest with ourselves, I mean, you're coming into, you know, your teens at that stage, you're getting more kind of very, very kind of, um, no doubt, uh, forming opinions about how football should be played. We should have won a league in that mid-90s yeah, period. Yeah, we, we had a brilliant team in the mid-90s. You know? And that 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 still fills me full of rage. But this crowd here, it's interesting for folks, I think, maybe to, to look back at what what does that Liverpool team look like? And who was the big star? And there's only really one man we need to focus on for this tournament, right? Yeah, but the thing is, you look at that team, okay, and you look back at what that team was and the players in that team. And it's a mix of legends who have won everything with this club. Yeah. A couple of big money recent signings 
by Sunas, who, when we bought them, were among the very best in the league in their positions. And two outstanding young prodigies that we thought were going to form a big part of the next great Liverpool team. One at right back, one on the left wing. Yeah. Two, two of our best ever. Like, I mean, they're, they're both of those lads that we're going to talk about now in a minute. I'll just go through the team quickly for people and then you can focus on who you want to. But two of those people we thought were going to be, and they, they'd have an argument to be in many, many different people's all-time 11. So the team that took the field was Bruce Grobler, serial winner. In front of him at centre-back was Mark Wright and Stevie Nichols. Now, Stevie Nichols' uh, standard, st- status at the club is unquestioned. Centre-half is probably not his finest position, but still a wonderful footballer. Mark Wright partnered him, and Mark Wright was one of those people who we drafted in and was, you know, really at the peak of of of, of the game, and people highly rated Mark Wright. I liked mm. him as a footballer. Uh, David Burrows was left back, and Rob Jones. David Burrows was solid, by the way, and Rob Jones mm. was one of those guys who you were talking about. Rob Jones could well have had the potential to be the best right back in the club's history. Ahead of Rob Jones was Ray Houghton, another serial winner. On the far flank was Steve McManaman, um, a little sort of waif-like creature with an incredible ability to keep the ball at his feet, who basically dominated this tournament for us. In the middle of the park, we had Michael Thomas, a recent draft in from Arsenal, and my podcast pal, Jan Mulby, who in the 1986 uh, FA Cup final possibly had his best ever, most influential game for Liverpool. And then in front of those two, just a small matter of Ian Frickin' Rush and another new recruit, Dean Saunders, who is in that category you spoke of, of mm. one of these highly rated lads who everybody wanted in their team, and we got him. So, I mean, that's a hell of a freaking 11 to be putting out. Should have done better in the league, clearly, and um, would have to have been going into this as heavy, heavy favourites. So, where do you that's want to exactly go from here? I mean, you, you can go through through all of them. I mean, like you said, serial winners up and down. But look look at the three guys that, that were sort of new to the club at the time. Dean Saunders, 27 years of age, in his pomp, having scored a bunch of goals for Derby, partnered Rush for Wales, and the idea was he's a bustly... He was like a, like a Welsh Carlos Tevez, a bustly little fucker who'd run the flanks, who'd work in between the gaps in the defence harass players off the ball, just a very busy type of forward. We'd always had that busy type of forward before, and the expectation was he was ready to kick on to a new level, having left Derby and join us for, what was an English record fee at the time, 2.9 million. Mark Wright was an England international. He played in the 1990 World Cup. He was seen at, I think he was, 29 at that point is right in the middle of his prime still a top class defender one of the best in the country Michael Thomas was only 25 we got him at 24 he was a two-time league title winner with Arsenal who George Graham trusted in big games and you didn't earn George Graham's trust in big games unless you had a bit about you so we had those three plus the serial winners plus the two lads that you said Rob Jones and of course Steve McManaman who Certainly for the for, for the for the nineties is Liverpool's best player. Like I, I know Owen comes along at the end of the decade. I know there's Fowler, but we were Steve McManaman's team. 
Steve McManaman was the best footballer in England for a couple of years in the 90s. And the whole idea, and Ferguson has said this many times, when you played that Liverpool team, they were sensational if you let McManaman play. If you stopped mm. McManaman, they didn't know what to do because they became so over-reliant on him. But he was everything to us. And in that season, he's 20 years of age. He's only been in the first team a year and a half, maybe. And he was just on an absolute tear. And Dave, for most, for most people, absolutely. And I want, I want to go into into that with you just, before, you know, in the next in the next minute or so. But for most people, including myself, Steve McManaman currently is, yep, 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 yeah. yep, that guy. And what he is is a source of massive irritation and a guy who just talks nonsense. Uh, and you'd really, really like him not to be there and not to be talking. And what most people don't understand, and far be it from me to go out of my way to give Steve McManaman plot, it's like he like he needs it. Um, his ego is fine, thanks very much. But this guy was a world-class talent who, when he left our club, went on to freaking prove that, winning Champions yeah. Leagues with Real Madrid. This is not an average footballer. He fulfilled his promise that he showed with us, where he was, like you say, our outstanding talent year on year. Uh, he went on to do better elsewhere and, and really pull in trophies at the top level. You have to give this kid, you know, credit for what he was, but really you could see a superstar in the making. Cause like you said, he went on a tear through this tournament. Unless I'm wrong, I think he scored in most of the rounds. I know he scored, um, in the opening round against Crew, I think he scored uh, against Bristol in the fourth round. I'm very positive he did. Uh, I think against Ipswich, um, he had another one. I think it was a winner against Ipswich in the fifth round. Against Villa, I think we had uh, two different scorers. Michael Thomas, I think maybe maybe John Barnes. That was an Aston Villa, which had Stevie Staunton at left back. Nigel Spink. center back. Paul McGrath. And do you remember Tony Daly? Yeah, uh, and of course, if, if he hadn't had injuries, he he would have been a star. Yeah, and the, McManaman tore them apart. From from memory, McManaman tore them apart. Yes, but, yeah. But really, as much as the final, the semi final actually stands out to me. We yeah. played Portsmouth at yes. Highbury, and a young, young, young Darren Anderton, who was compared at the time to McManaman, and we were being linked with him at the time, this was a player we really wanted to get, to put him on one wing, to replace Ray Houghton and Anderson and McManaman on the other end. And this was the, was the reported rumour at the time. And it went to extra time, and he scored in like the 110th minute or 112th minute. And we seen dead and buried. And Ronnie Whelan, who at that point was just had been devastated with injuries but when he played he was just a class above he stepped up to take the free kick now it, in my mind it, it was the last kick of the ball but i think there was like three or four minutes left he steps up to take this free kick and or is it was it him that, it was him that took the free kick wasn't it yeah, or oh, was it was it johnny barnes and johnny hit, hit oh, curled it against barnes the post took the free kick yeah. and hit the crossbar and it bounced down and wheel and tapped it in that's what i had in yeah. my head that it was wheeling no, yeah, you're right. Barnes took the free kick. Barnes, I believe, tore, didn't he tear his Achilles shortly after this because he missed the cup final? Yeah. I think that's what happened. Yeah, but that semi-final, that, just that drama of that late equaliser. And then we played them in a replay a couple of days later. And I think it, went, it ended up going to penalties. It was just two very dull games illuminated by some late drama. But 
again, McManaman, it was that Portsmouth game was held up as Anderton versus McManaman, these two great young stars that are going to be the future of English football. But Maka was always in those conversations. And as you said, like the crazy thing with him is we, we always hear people say, oh, you know, players who leave Liverpool, the grass isn't always greener. Well, it, it was greener. It was much, much greener for Steve McManaman. In fact, it wasn't even close. What he was playing on was yellow piss-stain grass for us. And he went to Real Madrid, <laughs> and he stood in a midfield with Redondo, who might be the best holding midfielder ever, and Raul mm. yeah. in the first Champions League with Roberto Carlos, um, Aitor Carranca, a young a young Iker Casillas, a bunch of good players. And he, he shone. I think he was man of the match in that final when they beat Valencia. And then two years later, they play Bayer Leverkusen. He scored that one, didn't he? He's again part of the. He scored. He scored in the game against Valencia. Yeah, yeah. yeah he scored yeah. in the one against Valencia. Um, but again, he, he wins another one with the the two thousand and one team, two thousand two team, and he's not a starter, but he does come on and plays an important role. But like that's a team that has Figo, Zidane, Makaleli, Carlos, Hierro, Raúl. That's one of the great teams that's ever been put together. And he's a key player in that team. It, McManaman was just like, like you said, he, he's a pain in the hole now. But he was so good. That Bayer Leverkusen team, by the way, the team that put us out of the out of the Champions League that year. I'll mm. never. I don't think I've ever had a more crushing defeat as a, uh, you know, pub that watching was the 10 football games supporter. From greatness thing, wasn't it? That was the ten games from greatness. We were lo- we were looking superb across the board. We even, you know, I mean, everything was looking so good back then. Yari Littman and, and oh god, I'm, I I can't even think about that. It's so sad. Um, the final itself, then just a couple of things because mm. I want to keep the, keep us keep us on track here. We're going like I I I would said to you before twenty five max, but I think we can probably allow ourselves the half hour because we need to expand into this. But that will be the absolute max. There's a couple of things about the final itself that we want to talk about, and just for the record, the um uh, Sunderland team that took the field against us. There were a couple of players that people might remember. Bracewell in midfield. Paul Most Bracewell, people might yeah. remember Paul Bracewell and um, Kevin maybe, Ball and his nose at centre back. Kevin Ball and people might people might remember um, um, Peter Davenport and John Byrne. John uh, Byrne, Irish legend. Exactly. So they were a couple of lads that people might remember. Just so we, it doesn't look like we're giving them absolutely short trip. They were they were in the division below us. Like they'd been they'd been relegated the year before. So going into this game, it was one of those where Liverpool have to win, but it's quite obvious that they could really lose this game in the most embarrassing fashion possible. Exactly, and really poor in the second division. And the first half wasn't looking so good for the Reds either. Sunderland had done very well in it. And again, this is just a by the by. Um, you know, can we just take a minute of our, our five to speak about this kit? Because for some people, the mm. kit from this season is an uh, is 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 a, a, a an all time great. For others, not so much. Uh, just so you know what you're talking about, in case you can't quite picture this kit. It's the uh, Adidas candy one, um, but it's got the stripes on the right shoulder, um, big, thick stripes. 
coming diagonally down across the right shoulder. That's the kit we're talking about here. Um, and it, it divided opinion. Where do you stand on this man? Did you own this kit, for example? I did. I did, I did indeed. And I absolutely love that kit. And I still love that yeah. kit to this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, Candy, the, the Candy logo, from an aesthetic point of view, is the best we've ever had on the shirt. Now, I know a lot of people like the Hitachi one or the yeah. Crown Paints one. But I've always felt the candy one really flowed quite well. The Carlsberg one was a little bit busy. It was a little bit too much of in terms of like the word was was a bit smushed to make it fit. It never really sat properly yeah. on the shirt. And uh, I've never been a fan of Standard Chartered at all. But for me, the candy no. one just is, is the business. And, and that I think that's a great kit. Now, I would question maybe the white stripes on the shorts, but the, the jersey itself yeah. is class. And the little Adidas logo been right kind of at the throat is really nice yeah i i think it's a belter i think it's classic at the time um it pained me that we were moving away from 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 what i associated with winning and i started to subconsciously blame candy uh in my mind even though we had had success with them too and they had they had there was a great candy kit it was a uh an adidas one round collar three stripes in in the traditional way and it had that kind of feathering effect i think that was mm. the season uh the kenny left it was beautiful real kind of old school adidas quality kit um but I will always have to say remain a crown paints man. The over under crown paints rather than the side by side. Yes, uh, and that, that was better. Yeah, to be fair, that 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 eighty five eighty six uh, kit, um, the 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 league and cup double winning kit is 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 an, is the all time great for me because like you, uh, I've memories of it. It's my first kit proper, and you know you, you, that's that's something that imprints on you. Um, in terms of the game itself, I spoke to you earlier on about Graham Sunes. Do you, will you ever forget seeing him getting excited and Ronnie Moran putting his arm across him like your mom when you're sitting mm. in the front seat and the car stops suddenly and she puts her arm across your, your dad so you don't go flying out through the windscreen and this is what Ronnie Moran was doing to hold him back from from his excitement because obviously poor old Graham's after having a serious rattle to the heart and surgery uh, only uh, you know mere mere days and weeks beforehand so that is, that is one of the specific outstanding memories for, for me anything else you want to focus in on specific to the final itself no i mean i just remember that that season obviously hadn't been particularly good at all but he he'd gotten ill with the the heart surgery and then there was all this talk about this interview that he'd done and it was going to come out in the sun, which obviously yeah. you're talking yeah. around the third anniversary of Hillsborough that this is going to come out. Yeah, it did and far worse damage than any of his stuff in the, on the field, didn't it? That that's really it. Like, there was no real, yeah. like from that moment. Now, I, I suppose, you know, living where we live, you maybe weren't as aware of it as you know, how bad it was as opposed to people that lived in the city. But there was so much blowback. And then when he when he appeared at the cup final, you kind of felt like it was damage limitation, that he was just trying to, you know, claw back and maybe get a little bit of sympathy. Like, look at me. I shouldn't be here. I'm here against doctor's orders. This is how much the club means to me. This is what this means to me. And at the end of the day, his... He lasted a while longer. Obviously, he lasted, I think, until, was it 93 he got sacked? But his his bed was made at that point. He, he There was no combat. 94, he yeah. lasted. 
There was no comeback after that. Yeah. He lasted two more years, but he was yeah. done before that game. Yeah, the the struggle on to ninety four was was the worst time um of my life as a Liverpool supporter, and that includes the dark days of Hodgie, uh, because <laughs> it was such a fall such a fall from grace, Davey. Like we were just we were used to winning everything. We we're used mm. to being the top dogs, uh, or at least uh, we'll get you next year if not. And it was and made all the worse by the fact was... that it was it was United that sort of usurped us. It was made all the worse by the fact it was them that went on and started winning and everything. The only thing that would have been worse yeah. would have been if it was Everton, you know. But for us, especially in Ireland, I think, if you weren't a Liverpool fan, you were a United fan. So most, like, most of your mates will be one or the other, which means that when we're bad and they're good, you have to avoid people for weeks and weeks on end. Now, thankfully... Weeks, garbage. weeks, 20 years, lads. Well, that's, that's basically years. it, yeah. But you could, <laughs> you could get through the season. It was only like come May when the trophies started being, been handed out. Yeah. And they'd get all of them. You'd kind of avoid them then for the summer. And then sure, come August and September, yeah. sure, there's new hope and you might win something. Uh, but I think we're getting close yeah. to our time. So just to wrap up, Michael yeah. Thomas scores the first goal. It's a huge goal. It's a goal that sort of, I think made a lot of Liverpool fans forgive him for what he'd done to us in 89. And then obviously Rushy yeah. getting that goal, his record in FA Cup finals is, is I think, practically unmatched. A superb player was coming towards Five the goals, end. right? Two doubles and two, two doubles, doubles and this, and this one. one. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And obviously Rush was, was just different class. Was he 31 at the time? So, you know, he was still... He was past his prime, but he was still a very, very good player. He was still knocking in goals for us on the regular. I think that season had been the worst of his career. He'd missed quite a bit of it and only scored nine goals for us. But the one that mattered was the one in the FA Cup final. His only appearance in that season's... No, sorry, he played five games, but his only goal in that season's FA Cup um, and one of only nine scored that year. But we knew that he was still special and, you know, it was just, it was a fun time, but it was obviously, it was kind of like the gateway to, well, a long, a long, long time of pain and suffering and misery with little moments of sunshine like 01, 05, the title challenge in 09, the title challenge in 13, 14. But we had we had a long wait between this, which is this is the last dawn of the great Liverpool team that had extended from the sixties to seventies, the eighties into here, and you had sort of the last push of Grobelar and, and Jan Moldy, these and Steve Nichol, these guys who had been so important to us. I think Rushy was still around in ninety five when we won the League Cup, the McManaman final against Bolton. But for those three, Jan, Steve Nicol and Bruce Grobelar, who gave so much to the club, this was their last great moment um, in terms of, you know, silverware. And, uh, yeah, it was the end of an era. And little did we know that the next era was going to be absolutely horrible. 
Yeah, and so bloody long. Um, and it is interesting, the second part of the show, uh, my next chat, in terms of FA Cup memories, we're going back into uh, the heady days of when uh, it looked like nobody could even take the ball off Liverpool. So uh, that will be a little bit of a contrast. But as Dave says, this trophy very much marked the end of um, a wonderful era and the beginning of a very dark one, um, which we have emerged from the far side. So it's a feel-good story, folks. Mm. Uh, thanks for joining us on this particular show. Uh, always enjoyable to talk to Dave about bloody anything, um, specifically so when we're talking about the Reds and winning things. It's always a nice twist. So uh, cheers to Dave. Cheers to Guy for producing. And we will speak to you in a few moments with our next guest. And for the second part of the podcast, I'm really delighted to be joined by Andy Wales to talk about the 1986 FA Cup final. Quite the contrast between the chats uh, I'm going to be having with Andy and Dave, I think, in respect of the type of team that we're going to be talking about and the place that we're at in Liverpool's timeline. But before all of that, and before we get into any details whatsoever, Andy, tremendous to be talking to you, man. Honour, an absolute honour to speak to you, Trev. I can't promise I'll be full of um, amusing hot takes like Twitter, but you know. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be upset if you were a fella. I'd be upset if you were. Uh, <laughs> Nobody no, like that, do they? <laughs> no place for hot takes in these on these podcasts, unless you're Hendrick, where he's full of them every week. You know yourself. Uh, we, what we should do is we should sort of set it up for people, really, because obviously 1986 FA Cup final is part of uh, a double, which we've already mentioned on this show in the chat that myself and Dave had. And that achievement, Andy, we should just put that into context for people. It, I tried to mention it already in this show, but it's a remarkable achievement. It had only been done very, very rarely. I think on years that ended with one, if I recall. Uh, I think Tottenham did it, Spurs did it. This double crack uh, is a remarkable um, um, uh, achievement. I, I think it was Arsenal and Spurs in 61 and 71. I could it, be wrong about was. that. No, it um, was, it was, yeah. Only the yeah. third team to do it that century. Preston mm. North End, I think it was in, in the 19th century. But yeah, it, at that time as well, yeah, it was a huge, a huge deal. Exactly. And you're talking about an era when, uh, you know, the obviously Liverpool came close to winning all the trophies all the time. And again, this is another thing. This is the first of a sequence of seasons where doubles could have been won, um, 88 and 89 as well. Um, actually, you know, every time Liverpool went out to play, the double was on the cards and we came very, very close, uh, sort of achingly close in 1989. And and, and again, in, in you know, the, the FA Cup final in 88 is another one that people scratch their head and think, how did Wimbledon win that? But it got over the line in this one. And it was just such a... I'm on, like, I mean, again, just for the record, I was about, uh, this is the summer I turned 13, so I'm a 12-year-old watching this. I'm a very, very excited 12-year-old watching this. Um, and, and for everything that that entails, you know, it's um, I'm not long after um, finishing or maybe still reading Roy of the Rovers comics. I'll, I'll get my Match magazine every week. And this was the most Roy of the Rovers thing ever to watch. 
Kenny Dalglish, player manager in his first season, winning the league, that incredible goal that he scores at Stamford Bridge. I mean, if, if, I, if I scored that in the backyard once, I scored it a million times. My poor brother was absolutely stressed out, hitting balls to me to chest down and finish like Kenny. But this is, it's, it just explain for, to folks, because, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of of an age. You're a bit younger than me, not much. So this it's meant everything, and it really did feel like a, a comics book story coming to life, didn't it? I've got to say, I was more shoot than match. There you go. That's sorry, mate. A match shoot. I was more of a shoot <laughs> man as well. You're, that's a good shout. Thank you for putting me right. Hey, and just speaking, of, I know a slight tangent to go off on this. See, this that was a time as well when shoot and match there were big things. Do you remember that ep- that term edition of shoot? So that that was that came out April first, and it had a picture of Ian Rush in the Liverpool kit on the front cover. Rushy in the Everton kit, yes. That see, and that is the thing is, you couldn't imagine that now. You, you no. just, it just, it it meant something. It was, I don't know. It's just, it's just, a, it's a totally different area, different age. Like you said, I mean, the double itself, that was, it was a huge thing, a huge achievement. And and not, and to put this into context as well, you know, the first ever uh, Merseyside derby is an FA Cup final, and you know. Some recent fans only know Everton being this this club that doesn't win trophies and has a a comedy value team. But at this time in the mid eighties, Everton had a really really good team. They were the league champions the year before this. They were the league champions the season after it. I mean, they they narrowly missed out on winning the double themselves the previous season. So really good Everton team, and this was a really good Liverpool team. So Merseyside had the two best teams in the in the land so it was it, it was everything it was it was huge it was the fa cup final it was still massive this was a time when you know that you hear them talk about the magic of the fa cup and everyone scores of everyone dreams of scoring a goal at wembley as a kid back then you really did do that you actually did do that i was out there with my mates and this is these, these were the you know you as you were running with the ball you're you, you are the, the commentator and you're adding this commentary as you're playing and you're kicking the ball and you know and he shoots and he scores and it's the winning goal and Liverpool have won the cup and it's these are the things that you dreamed of. And it it was it was it was something that I guess for a lot of fans of a certain age now is you just can't imagine it. This was this was almost as big at that time as as like the Champions League is now. As 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 mad yeah. as that is to as as a thing yeah. to say, because this was before money was the big thing of football. This was it was football. It was just the sport of football. The the, the disparity certainly in terms of wealth between the top club and the bottom club in the league was nothing like it is today. Um, uh, there was some really interesting stuff done there recently around around those kind of figures and um, what we're competing in at the moment and 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 for the record Andy I think you'd agree with me this era has recaptured that magic under Klopp we have that magic again the the joy of winning and winning with this great football that we play in these incredible characters uh, and wonderful footballers that fill our squad and it, it's beautiful to be looking back now from a position um where we are in uh, in 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 the ascendancy in a strong sit- setup because before reminiscing about the past 
always had this bittersweet feeling and you'll have had years of it like myself too many years nearly 30 years of it where it's you know you feel like you're one of those boring old bastards going on about the good old days do you know what i mean uh and you you, 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 you know you've got all your war stories and you oh we used to be i'll tell you now lad we used to be so good blah 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 but man we can we can we're, we're free of those shackles now. We can cast them off. Kloppo has restor, restored uh, a sort of dignity to us again in that we think we can win everything. Only last night I was just thinking to myself, what if we win all four trophies this season? And I mean it, man. You know it's possible. So this is great. So we're go, we're looking back now, free of any of that kind of uh, fear of being mawkish or nostalgic, and we can just get into it. And you talk about what it meant and that whole idea of the Merseyside thing. I want to come back to that because there's loads of stuff around that. Um, but just even the whole day itself. And again, I don't think this is a thing that people do anymore. Let's just allow now that people understand the significance, um, the enormity of the occasion and the fact that um, the FA Cup had a heft to it that it no longer has. And that for some people, there was a romance to it that made it the equal of the league in terms of winning a trophy because it was almost on a level footing with, with the league. Now, let's put that to one side and take that as given. Difficult laws it may be for a modern uh, listener to believe. But, man, do you remember the build-up? It used to be such an occasion. You'd get up early in the morning and you'd have just back-to-back fanfare and crack going on. Saint and Greaves, you would be hosting stuff down by the touchline. There would be just endless bits and bobs on for the entire day in terms of build-up. I found a VHS uh, for for our younger uh, younger listeners, VHS cassettes were an old medium for recording sound and vision. Uh, and I found a VHS cassette, Andy, which had the full day's uh, recording on it with all the programs, including Saint and Greavesy and the celebrity mm. penalty shootouts. Man, it was some occasion. Do you remember any of that part? Did you, did you did you indulge in that part? Well, yeah. Th- I mean, this this was partly why I picked this, and it could be because. Not just for the fact that yeah Liverpool won it and they won the double and everything like that. This was this was my sort of I think my almost like awakening of obsession of not just playing with my friends and reenacting games and everything like that and planning all these games and teams against teams and we'd be that country against that country and that team against that team is watching it as well watching every game that you could possibly get because you were. You you were, um, what what would you, how would you say that you were rationed then as as certainly compared to now, yeah. You, could, you took whatever you could get, and this was not just a game that was on TV. This was this was everything, and and this for me was my first big cup final that I really got into it as an occasion, and I took in the full lot, the whole build up, the whole grandstand, the whole game the whole shebang, everything. And I even remember after this one, the 87 Cup final, Coventry beating Spurs, watched all of that. Liverpool again, 88. Uh, oh, I don't want to remember that. Liverpool, Everton again, 89 and 90. And, and this was this was the start of me where the Cup final was an event. You watched the Cup final, even if your team wasn't in it. But this, this was my first. And I remember going out on the morning and getting myself a bottle of pop and a bag of sweets so I could sit there and take it all in and enjoy them. And the whole, and it was that was it. The cup final grandstand, 
took in everything. And I and I'd even seen some clips of that. And it's the whole thing of it, you know, the the cup itself and its own history, the teams, the, the history of those clubs and balls, seeing the buses leaving the hotel and travelling. And then there was things in there like um, there was a special with um, Alf Garnett, uh, Smith and, alas, Smith and Jones, even Mark Lawrence and, and Gary Lineker playing snooker. You know, everything, it was just, it, it took over grandstand which itself was a Saturday afternoon sporting institution on television. This was everything for something like six hours, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it was, it was everything. And it, it's, it is difficult to kind of really get that across that and emphasize just how big it was at that time because you didn't have your Sky Super Sunday and match after match after match on a Sunday and then an early one on a Saturday, evening one on the Saturday, Monday night football, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, you just didn't have this. You, you, it was piecemeal. You would get, you, maybe you get a game on a Sunday and then you got your cup final and you got some internationals. So what you got was, it was, you know, you, you made the most of it. And the cup final was, it was like your Christmas dinner of football matches. <laughs> it's a lovely expression actually and you know what you hit the nail on the head uh, that is the difference between now and then is that idea of rationing that's what it was it felt like rations you know if if Watford versus Everton was the game that was on match of the day then you would watch that and you would watch the hell out of that and it might have been a crap game on a muddy pitch but it didn't matter because that was all there was to watch and again we're so immersed in everything now as you say, it's not just all the games, it's all the stuff around the games and the endless palaver with people who get paid very, very big salaries to talk nonsense. And you can sort of feel, I imagine a modern audience being completely underwhelmed by the idea of six hours of coverage, but when it was such a one-off, and I think you got that across beautifully, it really is just a, a one-off occasion that you reveled in every everything, even the, 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 the snook. I remember being tense watching the snooker game between Gary Lineker and Mark Lawrence. And you, you know, your, your, your inherent uh, competitiveness came out in every little thing possible. Uh, and of course, the build-up with lads at school and stuff like that. Now, granted, there wouldn't have been too many Everton fans in Ireland. I'll hold my hands up and say that that's the truth. There was going to be Liverpool fans and United fans. And all we wanted to do was just now that we were in the final, not let the side down. And it was all on that. And of course, I had this extra thing as well, because I really had imprinted on Dalgleish uh, in terms of like hero worship. And it, it just wasn't acceptable for me that Kenny would go out and not win, not be the winner and not not uh, have that smile at the end and the trophy to accompany it. So th the pressure, I remember feeling quite intense. Um, it was, if anything, it was worse in 1989. Um, in fact, it definitely was worse. Uh, uh, it just it felt really, 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 really pressured. But I want to put it into context something you said. It's really worth talking about. People need to understand how good Everton were in this era because the answer is very bloody good. And like you said, either side of this, they were league champions. And there was a spell where it was Liverpool and Everton first and second, and that's how it was. And there was this feeling that, you know, Merseyside was kind of ruling the roost in football. And Andy, there was a pride, a kind of shared pride in that, that you, it is gone now for sure. There's a nastiness and an edge in the competitive uh, uh, and, and in the 
in the way the fans address each other and 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 even interact with each other now that wasn't necessarily there then yes absolutely deadly rivals but i remember beautiful scenes of the whole of Wembley singing Merseyside, Merseyside and stuff like that uh, on different occasions. Th- you know, you, you you sent the the little picture of the combined team standing red, blue, red, blue for a kind of a photo shoot, uh, like a pre-season um, um, calendar shot. And these things make a difference. And this Everton team had Bobby Mims in goal that day, but only because Neville Southall, probably the best keeper uh, in the league, uh, was out injured. They had Gary Stevens, who was very, very good at his job at right back. Kevin Ratcliffe and Derek Menfield at centre half. Um, Ratcliffe, very highly rated, superb yeah. centre half. Hell of a centre half. Pat Van den Howe left back again, a bit of a wild card, liable to do sort of semi hard man stuff. Trevor Stephen, Peter Reid, Paul Bracewell, and Kevin Sheedy is midfield and a half, if we're being honest. Uh, reading his pomp, um, Bracewell, very good at that time. Kevin Sheedy at a left foot could sort of, um, you know, you could open a can, a can of beans with. And, and Trevor Stephen, an England international as well. And then in Graham Sharp and Gary Lineker, you had serious attacking talent there as well. Yeah. Uh, Gary Lineker, I think, during this game, scores his 40th goal of the season. And Adrian Heath, their sub, was another little sort of uh, sprightly, um, uh, diminutive but effective uh, attack. This is a, a challenge, and I'm just going to set you up here by saying that I was reading in advance of this um, a little match report, and in the match report, it was from The Guardian, it was a kind of a minute-by-minute minute thing, just to remind me of some of the bits and bobs that had happened, and they were setting out by saying, um, well, this is hardly a oh, a classic or a, a, some word like that, a classic Liverpool team, basically kind of doing down the standard of the side and you know it had been the story of the season Kenny was rebuilding and next season was going to be even worse uh, and we we were yet to get to the the Beardsley and and Barnes and and Aldridge era and Houghton and all that the team for the day and this is where I want to bring you in Andy to talk about was was Bruce Grobler, Stevie Nickel, Mark Lawrence, and Alan Hansen, and Jim Begley. Okay, sorry, that's world class. Uh, yeah. Craig Johnston. Star- and, and sorry, just worth worth saying as well is that it would have been Gary Gillespie in for Mark uh, Mark Lawrence, and were it not for Gillespie getting uh, picking up a virus late on. Precisely, precisely, dead right too. Um, Midfield was Craig Johnston starting, and again, Craig Johnston was nobody's idea of a starter, a very effective footballer, but nonetheless, Jan Malby, obviously, who for me was man the match on the day, Kevin McDonald and Ronnie Whelan. So again, in Kevin McDonald and and, and, uh, Craig Johnston, two excellent footballers, great contributors to the club, but again, nobody's ideas of Liverpool starters uh, at the time, really. And then Kenny Dalglish and Ian Rush, again, I'm sorry, that's world class. The sub on the day was Steve McMahon. And of course, you know, we all know what happened in the days before and who was there and who was around and the personnel. And we all know the personnel that was to come. But this is what Kenny was working with at the time. And you can kind of understand, Andy, can't you, why there was a little bit of an eyebrow raised and some people were very convinced that Everton were going to do the job. Absolutely. I mean, you, you just look at that Everton midfield. That is that is a very, very good midfield. That is a very good midfield right across the board. 
that's that's just a very good team. Even with Bobby Mims in for Neville Southall, he said at the time Neville Southall was probably the best goalkeeper in the league. They had they had a hell of a team, and that was the that was the summer that uh, Gary Nev, uh, Gary Lineker was off to Barcelona because he had his World Cup and he he was the top goal scorer at the World Cup for England. So th- this was a this was a hell of a team. It had had everything in it. Guile. It had a bit of aggression. Organization, pace, goals, everything. It was such a good team. But it was, I guess, it, the league season itself almost played out in this game with our team in that on paper you might not have looked at it and said we look like the best team, but we somehow managed to cope and overcome and find a way. And it's that that Shankly-Paisley DNA that came through for Liverpool that can find a way to do things. And that was, I mean, like Ronnie Whelan became a tremendous, tremendous footballer. Uh, him and him and at once it, you know, became the partnership in the middle. Then two together, you know, perfect foil. But at this point, it was still Ronnie Whelan on the left. And like you said, Steve McMahon was on the bench, an unused substitute on the day. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, on paper, it's, it, it's a, it's Everton, even though we just won the league, what was it the week before when he's when uh, Kenny scored the uh, the goal at uh, Stamford Bridge? Even though we you know we just won the championship, Everton on paper, yeah, they were the favourites. I guess the only thing that could be said in favour of Liverpool was that having had a bit of a woeful start, if I recall correctly, I think the I think Liverpool were as low as twelfth or thirteenth in the table, possibly even as late as coming up towards. October, November time, um, but the 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 run that won the league uh, and literally pipped Everton to it was eleven wins and a draw in the last twelve matches. So we're bang in form, at least in terms of momentum. You've got to say that. Um, mm. But the game didn't start so well, Andy, in terms of uh, Liverpool's hopes. Um, and, you know, I want to go back and you can pick out other little bits and pieces you want to talk about, uh, any other little features that were not match related. But just to focus on the match itself, obviously, at the start, you've got Kenny walking out in his kit beside Howard Kendall. This is great stuff. And, you know, it's it's so unusual. And you're reminded again, our manager, you know, as a player manager, it's fucking Roy Race, you know, that's what it is. And you can't get your head around it. It's it's so exciting. And and you're watching the lads run now. That that kit is is an all-time great for me. I just absolutely love it. Um I really like the tracksuit tops on the day as well, the grey, grey and red ones. Tremendous stuff. But the game gets going. And if I recall correctly, I think the way it runs is Lineker's opener um then the equaliser for Liverpool comes from who, Andy? Oh, who else but Ian Rush? Ian Rush, exactly. Uh, uh, the first of a double. Uh, then we go 2-1 ahead later on the game through Craig Johnston and Rushy uh, with a third late in the game then. And, you know, we all, we, we myself and Dave alluded to it, Rush scored in the 92 Cup final. He gets two in 89 as well, coming on uh, as a sub and just being ridiculously good, ridiculously Ian Rush on the day. Um, but 
but the two goals he scored in the in in, in the game we we're talking about today were, were just were, were were peachy as well, uh, and so so rushy. Um, let's talk a little bit about the aspects of the game then that you really that stick out for you. I mean, you know, uh, that's the way it ran. But like I say, we have to be fair and say that Everton were really really good and in the ascendancy and um, our equaliser. Uh, not that it was against the run of play, but you know, Everton were doing really, really well until Liverpool pulled away. Um, what were the aspects of the match that stood out for you? Well, the first half, it was much more Everton than us. They were, they were definitely the better team. And it wasn't until I watched it back again, you noticed it was there was hell of a wind actually on the day, and we had that behind us in the first half, but couldn't do anything with it. And it was and it was actually an, a very uncharacteristic bad touch for Kenny because I think he had a bad first half. It was just it wasn't coming off him at all. A bad touch from him, and then they they spring they spring the counter direct ball through. Gary Lineker scores just before the half hour mark, and this was and this was the first half that they, they Everton looked stronger than us. But the big thing I think really is is the first ten minutes of that second half we were all over the shop. They were making chances. We were making mistakes and we were really, really rattled. And I think that there was, there was a couple of moments that kind of summed it up. I don't know whether you remember this, but it was Bruce Grobelart and Jim Beglin getting in a bit of a pickle with each other. Yeah. And, and Grobelart grabs a ball and gets right in the face of Jim Beglin, like screams at him and then just kind of walks away like, okay. And then that's it. Then the game continues. But it was almost like that was us clearing our heads. Like, okay, right, that's it. That's it. And just after that is comes the equaliser. But I think the biggest turning point of the match is one of the, perhaps one of the most iconic moments of the game was, was the Grobler save from just under the crossbar. So we'd equalised. He tips that header over the bar. And then we go on. And we get the second goal, and it's almost like that—that that was, you know, these two turning points of the game with, with, with Grobler is to settle ourselves down, and then right, that's it. You know, they're not—they're not taking the lead again. That's it now. They're done. They're finished. This is our match now. And it was, I mean, it's just weirdly, they are—they are two of the two of the biggest moments that still stick with me, is Bruce Grobler. Yeah, and rightly so because. You know, he's much maligned, but one of the, the real joys of doing the show with Jan on a weekly basis is that, you know, you go past the whole... I, I did a whole series of interviews with, with nearly all of these guys. I feel very privi- privileged to have done that. And um, But, you know, when you've only got an hour, maybe two hours, like I was lucky enough to have, you can get into a little bit of stuff for sure, and you, if, especially if you get a bit of a rapport with someone, you can get a feel for uh, what they thought about certain things or certain times. But over over four years now with Jan, I really have one thing I've noticed. He never wavers on talking about how good Grobler was. Yeah, I mean, we all know the whole notion of the clown prince of football and all the rest of it. But those antics were all stuff he was doing deliberately. And, of course, occasionally he made an occasional blunder. Um, we had, you know, Calamity James soon afterwards, but... David James was a bloody good goalkeeper and Bruce Grobler was a bloody good goalkeeper. Yeah. And, you know, that's the one thing that keeps coming out in, in when when in talking to Jan is like, yeah, it, you know, you, you, 
you had a the lads had a feeling that you know it didn't really matter what kind of shot was coming at him there was a great chance he was going to stop it i'm glad you focused in on that because most people don't and you know it's easier to look at the other things i mean it's <laughs> you know it's a lovely story the craig johnson story is a lovely story right the the, the australian lad he's over he really wants to make it we know yeah, the inventor of the predator, and we all know we know these things afterwards. But you know, everyone was sort of so delighted for him. He he tried to claim Rushy's first goal sliding in on the line. <laughs> yeah. Could, could How many times that. did you watch the replay? Thinking, did he touch it? Was it over the line? No, no, you can't yeah. take that goal off Rushy. That's Rushy's goal. Exactly, exactly. And it just shows your loyalties because I was exactly the same. No, that's Rushy's goal. Get out of there, you cheeky git. You know. Um. <laughs> but eventually, he does get the, his his goal is the second goal, and he. Again, almost Kenny almost gets there, but maybe it's the story of the aging, the aging uh, superstar. He doesn't quite make it as Jan squares the ball across the box. Craig Johnson's at the back post to tip it in, and that celebration, the, the little skip, that's so iconic. That's, that, yes, you know. yes, that. You know what? That that was the thing about the um, the the night in Istanbul, the 2005 final, when Carragher runs. And jumps and skips in the air. Yes. Always takes me back to Craig Johnson in the 86 Cup final. Every single time. Every time. It's <laughs> brilliant things. I, had exa- I, I, I thought I was the only one, but I'm glad you said that. And then, of course, like we say, Rushy gets the winner. And, and you know, the first of, of, of this run, this wonderful run of his uh, in the FA Cup. But, you know. The camera. Look, the camera. Did, you did, can't forget did, the did, camera on the second goal. That's why I want. That's that's why I'm talking to you for this because I know you'll have these details because this is the things that fans of the time remember. Because I don't know about you, but like obviously we didn't have any tech back in the late '80s. But if you had had camera phones, everyone would have been setting it up like that and trying to blast your camera phone out of it because it was such a cool effect. <laughs> tell people about it just so they understand what we're talking about. It's that so the diagonal ball across from Whelan to rush and the way he just takes it down it's such a beautiful touch and then such a clean strike right diagonally across the goal and and dead in that corner of the goal there's two cameras and he manages to hit one of them and they ca- you just see the camera flip and it's and it's even like it's on so th- as he scores it, obviously the commentator focuses on that Ian Russia scored and that's it for Liverpool. That seals it for Liverpool because it was late on. But it's as soon as it comes on the replay and a, a fair play to him, um, I can't think of it, which one it will have been, the commentator, but straight away as he sees it and even knocks the camera over in the corner. Yeah, it's yeah. It's just one of those little iconic images that you, I don't know, it just... There's a few of these things, and just like you said, you know, Craig Johnson, the skip, the save from Bruce Grobelaar, this, the camera going, as much as anything, that camera flipping in the corner, it's just, yeah, it's, like you said, you know, we we didn't have, not only did we not have the um, the technology back then, we also didn't have the money to be able to pay for a camera to sit in the corner of the goal <laughs> and keep smashing it. Because uh, I'm not no sure chance. I would have survived it to adulthood if I'd done that. You're right, because the reason I bring it up is because you've already touched on the idea, and I have myself, of how important these things were, because the first thing you did was run out and recreate them actually physically. 
Um, and, you know, it's not to do uh, two old men shouting at the clouds moment here. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to do at all. What I'm trying to say is that this is the reality of the world, whether it was where you were or whether it was where I was or whether it was people watching in whatever far flung regions of the world or just in Liverpool who were unable to get to the match or who came home from the match. We all went out and tried to do the things that we had seen as opposed to maybe recreating them in a game of FIFA or whatever. And it just had that, I don't know, there's that extra resonance because like I say, I have I have physical memories, uh, you know, that I, like, I can access of me hitting. We had this homemade goal. We got this, we made this goal. Uh, we made netting out of sheep wire, that square stuff. And it's so satisfying to hit it and ping the back. And I remember hitting that again and again and again, um, recreating Kenny's goal. And by God, did we recreate Rushy's goal. And man, I'm going to tell you, we put something, this little piece of wood in the corner to hit. Because oh. you did. if you didn't hit the camera in inverted commas, it wasn't a Rushy goal. So we, these things matter, right? Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, we, we didn't have the luxury of, uh, we didn't, you, I mean, you were lucky. We, we didn't have wood. We used to live in a luxury. We used to live in. We, we used to live in rolled up newspaper, middle of road. <laughs> <laughs> Our dad would get us up at three o'clock in the morning, six hours before we went to sleep. Then we went down. Us to sleep with his belt. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, these are the, this. Well, the thing is, is like not only was there a time before the Premier League, there was also a time before FIFA existed. Yes. And even Pez. And and this was the thing, yeah, we, yes, you did have Commodore 64s, and we mentioned this, you know, I, I spoke to people, young young guys and girls in, the, in their early 20s, that I had a Commodore 64, and I would put my game in, I would put the cassette in, set it to load, and go out and play for 45 minutes, and come back and hope that it perhaps was ready to, uh, about ready to play. And I would get these kind of, like, um, puzzled looks on on their faces like what uh, how long how long what a cassette you would load a game from a cassette what but and equally you know before before we had you know all this wonderful technology to recreate all these moments and try and do things is you physically had to just go out and do it yourself and this was it now we practice i i practiced moments and um, I don't know whether you remember it, the 1990 World Cup, there was the little chip that David Platt did on the volley. And me oh, and my yeah. friend, oh. we tried to recreate that because it was such a good volley. We tried to recreate that one endlessly over and over again. The uh, Paul Gascoigne uh, free kick for Spurs against Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final of um, 1991. Try to recreate that free kick endlessly over and over and over again because... All, and it was not just Liverpool moments as a Liverpool fan, but iconic footballing moments as a kid at that time. That's what you did. Just like you it said, was, you would go out and you would say, did you see that? Did you see that? And yeah. You, yeah, you didn't have phones. So you just go knock on your friend's door. Did you just see that? Did you see that? Let's do it. Let's do it. You got to take a ball. And we would try it over and over and over and over. And it, it was... It, yeah, two old guys shouting at a cloud to this, you know. It, this but, really yeah, happened. But, but it's true. It really See, they, happened, kids. It really it, happened. It, it really happened. And it's, it, it, it's that rationing thing you're talking about. You only had so many moments to go and enjoy. So you bet you you relived them. And they, may, they did mean a little bit more. And it's just a fact. 
You know, man, I have thought about 17 different um, alleyways I'd love to go down just with this game alone chatting to you. But I'm looking at the clock and we've blown it, man. We said we'd stick to 30 minutes. But oh, no. <laughs> and sorry, I, know you, I know you've more to talk about. I definitely have more to talk about. But it's 35 minutes and we've got to keep to the schedule or Eddie Gibbs will be losing losing his life. Yeah. So we better wrap it up. And I wanted to say thanks a million, Andy. Um, really enjoyed the chat. Um, it's been a fantastic to look back on a tremendous occasion uh, with someone who was of a similar vintage watching it. And it sort of brings a different level to the conversation as well. Uh, you know, when we when we have those shared memories and that kind of shared perspective on it. And so that's been tremendous. I want to thank Dave for talking about 1992. And that has been Glory Days with myself, with Andy Wales, with Dave Hendrick, Guy Drinkle produced for us. I've been Trev Danny. And until we see you again, be kind to your fellow Reds and stay safe out there. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.